Well, thank you, Kevin and Ben, for leading us this morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Uh, it's good to see you uh, this morning. Thanks for being here uh, with us. Uh, those that are joining us online, good to see you online as well. Uh, you've joined us in part two of a series called The Christmas Song, and I'm going to ask for your help from the jump this morning, all right? Can you do me a favor? Because I think Christmas is a season of longing and looking forward to things. So I think that each of us has a memory of some kind of something that you looked forward to getting at Christmas when you were small. A lot of blank stares right now. So if you can do me a favor, can you turn to your neighbor and talk to them and tell them, here's something that I was either looking forward to and got or looking forward to and didn't get at Christmas when I was little. All right. Remember that time? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. What did you look forward to getting at Christmas time when you were small? I'm going to bring that back in. Very good. Very good. There's a lot of stuff out there. Hey, um, give me, uh, give me some, uh, give me some feedback. What do we got? What did we just, let's name some things or name some things your neighbor told you. What just, just to chat it out here. What did, what did you look forward to getting when you were little? A what? Teddy Rexpit? Ruspin. Wonderful. <laughs> did you get it? Okay. That's great. I obviously didn't look forward to that. I don't even know what we're talking about. That's awesome. What else? A bicycle. And you got it? Very good. Very good. What else? American Girl doll. Yes, me too. Me too. Yep. <laughs> Big time. A couple of them. All right. Very good. Yep. Anybody else? Cabbage Patch dolls. Yes. Which went along with Garbage Pail Kids, I think, at that same time. Everyone got tired of that, so they came out with those. Yep, I remember that. Very good. Anybody else? A train set and a what? Patty. <laughs> Thank you, because the first thing I thought I heard was a Monty Python doll, and I thought, I don't think, I don't think that's right. I don't think I'm hearing her right. So thank you for clearing that up. That would be weird. That would be really weird. I looked forward to getting a uh, remote control truck, right, a yellow, and I got a remote control truck one time at Christmas time and thought it was great, and I played with it for a really long time. Um, man, for years, the battery wore out, and we figured out how to get a new one. We were in Barbados at the time, so it's not that easy to get new batteries and all that. Anyway, not that they have no batteries on the island of Barbados, but anyway, it was a challenge. But uh, Christmas is that season of long. Thank you for sharing that. There's more that you could share for sure. And when I think about this, I think about the song that we just sang, Oh Holy Night. This is our um, theme song for the morning. And I love where uh, the author goes uh, with this song. And let's just look at the words again real quick. They, they write this, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of the dear Savior's birth. So it kind of sets up, like here's the big night, here it is. But then they talk about longing. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I love the way they put it in the next line. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, now most people don't talk about pining this way, but in case you don't know what that means, it's kind of this deep yearning or hoping for something. Like you're wanting the lead in the play, like you're pining for it. You want to win the heart of the girl, like you're pining for it. And 
you're sitting, if we're honest, and this is where I want to jump off from in, in a minute. I think if, if any of us are honest, we, we've been in this space where if we've honestly looked at ourselves in the mirror um, and in the depths of our own soul, we have sat in a space as we look at ourselves and realize we're not good enough on our own. We don't have enough in us to really pull us out from where we are. And when we sit for real and look at, at who we are and where we lack, there can be a pining or a yearning or a hoping for whatever you want to call, and I'll call salvation, for a pulling out from where we are, from a realization that I can never really get away from the worst part of me on my own, that I'm not good enough to save and redeem myself. And so long lay the world looking at ourselves in sin and error, pining, like hoping, longing for more. And then the author goes on, till he appeared and the soul all of a sudden felt its worth and we begin to build this song, a thrill of hope, the, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and a glorious morn. All of a sudden the next morning uh, comes up, the sun comes up and for the first time we feel that our soul felt its worth. We feel that our soul can now rejoice the weariness of it. So I love the way that this author and the way that we read and sing this song, that our soul will finally feel its worth. Because if you stare at yourself long enough in your soul, we'll see the sin and error pining. We'll see the sin and error in our own lives and we'll be pining for more. But this, this moment where the soul, the soul feels its worth, the weary soul rejoices. You can feel it. Now you're tired of, you're tired of constantly running into yourself. Finally, we can rejoice. This idea of the soul rejoicing, the soul hoping, the soul longing is something that I want to, to talk about this morning relative to, to this, this song and also to the theme uh, that we've been in, uh, to the passage of scripture that we've been in, because the soul rejoicing is a theme that Mary herself wrote about. In fact, we're going to read about that. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter one with me this morning. Uh, Luke is the third book in the New Testament, the right two thirds of your Bible. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can grab one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you this morning. That's free for you to take. Uh, but Mary is going to write about her own soul and what's going on in her soul and the feeling of worth, if you will, or the, the feeling of rejoicing when she gets news that she all of a sudden is the one who is going to bear um, Jesus as a child. It's an amazing, amazing situation. So this is what is called Mary's song, or, you know, that's, that's what I'll call it here this morning. So Luke chapter 1, beginning... At verse 46 is where I want to start. Because in her song, she's longing for something, and her soul is going to be speaking out, and she is longing, I would argue, she's longing to connect with a God who is something other than she is. She's longing to connect to a God who is holy and who is different. And there's a longing there in it. Let's look at it in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And this is where I connect with Mary right on. This, this desire of her soul to express to God who he is and just kind of the outpouring of hope. I can't imagine the excitement and confusion of a 14 to 15 year old girl, 13, 14, 15 year old girl, who's found out that she's going to become pregnant for the first time. And there's no online resources to help her out. There's no pregnancy centers to go to. And if you've ever been pregnant and that cuts out at least half the room, you understand, unlike me, you understand the anxiety that comes around this, the anticipation, the hope, and the fear that comes around this. And where does Mary have to go with this? Nowhere. 
No, so where does she go? She said, my, my soul, my soul glorifies the Lord. In her excitement and her anticipation, she's looking forward to these things. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's been mindful of me. And so what is she, what is she bearing, if you will? I, like, I love what she says next in verse 49. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So this is Mary's theme. This is where I see her theme. As she looks at her soul and what it's longing for, she says, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy is his name. This is her theme. I think she sees God as holy and other. We think about holy, you have to ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to think about something as holy? And you understand it. It's probably what you think of. It's separate. It's other. It's something where when you walk into a room, maybe you walk into someone's home, you take your shoes off because they, you know, they want to keep their place separate and clean from the outdoors. You understand the general idea of holy. But here's the thing that I've come to learn about holiness, that holiness is never just understood by our minds, but it's experienced in our lives and then responded to. Let me talk about this because this is important for me. Holiness is this idea of separation or separateness or moral superiority. It is that idea. But it's not just an idea to be experienced in our minds. It's to be experienced in our lives and then responded to. You might wonder, what does that mean? Uh, let me put it in this way and then come back to this idea. It's not so much that we just um, look at the holiness of God and say, in my mind, I'm going to recognize it. It's more like I have an experience with this. Here's what it is. Uh, maybe three, four years ago, our family had the chance to travel to Glacier National Park in Montana, which was quite fun for us. And we went on an early morning hike, and um, some of us did, some of us were sleeping because we didn't want to get up, but most of us went. Uh, we left early, went on a 45-minute hike um, on the trail, was called Avalanche Lake, all right, beautiful hike. Um, and when we got there, when we got there, we had an experience, and I want to share part of it with you this morning, all right, so here's the deal. This is a still shot of a video that's about to roll. This is us coming to Avalanche Lake itself the trees and the, the ground, that is what we saw for 45 minutes. It was really like wicked early when we got up. You know, it was, I think even before sunrise we started. And so for 45 minutes, we have a very average hike, so to speak. We're just really looking at pine trees and climbing over logs, all right? And then finally, out of the bush, if you will, we get into this clearing and we see Avalanche Lake. Now, that's not bad, right? I even heard some responses in this room. And what you just heard was what we heard too. Because people who were there, and you saw a couple of people, they weren't saying anything either. We just came around the corner, we were like, whoa, whoa. What we experienced, what we experienced, if you will, is a moment of holiness, so to speak, otherness, separateness. It's not so much that we stood there and said, you know, in our minds, we recognize that this moment is really profound, and this is somewhat transcendent. And intellectually, I'm going to affirm that this is a wonderful place. No. It hits you inside, right? You experience it in your life, and then you respond to it. Holiness doesn't just exist as an idea that we affirm out there. As if God is holy, and so he is wiser than, stronger than, more in tune with, more merciful than, and we can put that idea out here to live as if it's a mental 
construct that can exist outside of my experience with it. When we encounter holiness or otherness, not unlike our experience with a hike like this, and you see something, when you're there, you experience it in your life, and then we respond to it. And so this is God's holiness. It isn't just an idea that lives in our brains, that we sit in a church service and say, yep, that's right. That's, that's right. God is holy. He's separate and other. It's not just that. It's deeper than that. It's a picture of, a, of an experience that goes through our life that we respond to. When we really get through the clearing and see, wow, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And so, so here's the deal. So Mary paints a picture, all right? Mary paints her own picture of how she's experiencing God's holiness in her life. So much like my picture of Avalanche Lake, Mary paints a picture in the next couple of verses of how she experiences holiness and God's holiness. Because it's not just a mental construct. You can walk out of here and you would have walked in and said God is holy. All right? If I would have asked you, you would have walked in here with that mental understanding already. I want to push us past that for a minute to push holiness beyond just the mental into what do I experience and then how do I respond? Because that is what biblical holiness includes. It's the avalanche lake experience. Wow. This moment's going to be different now. The way I carry out my day-to-day is going to be different now. The way that I act as a husband and as a leader and as a wife and as a child and as a hopeful leader, it's going to be different now because I've experienced God's holiness. So look how she experiences it. And I'm going to put the verses up here on the screen because I want to highlight them this morning. But you, um, if you don't If you want to, you can follow along in your Bible, too. I'm going to begin at verse 50. Here's how she goes on to explain it. Verses 50 and 51a, I'm putting up here on the screen. His mercy extends to those who fear him, she says. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Let me just pause it here. She is turning into um, poetry, into poetic form. And poetry in the Bible often includes parallel thought, sometimes contrasting, sometimes Um, similar thoughts. So there's really two lines here. And she introduces holiness through the lens of two um, key, I'll call them character traits or strengths of God. And here's what they are. You'll see them here if I highlight them this way. His mercy extends to those who fear him, and he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. So Mary sees holiness as an extension of two things, God's mercy and his might at the same time. God is merciful, and he is mighty. This is how she begins to unpack holiness. God is merciful, and he is mighty. Now, she explains this even more in the coming verses. She writes about it. Here's what she says. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. We're just going to look at what these verses have to say. There are two groups here that she's referring to. Again, parallel thought, two groups. Here's, what, here's who they are. I'm just going to highlight them this way. There's the proud, there's the rulers, and there's the rich. And there's stuff falling from the ceiling up here. Did anybody see that? Yeah, thank you. Just wanted to acknowledge that. I'm glad I'm in front of a star that has points on it. All right. So here's the deal. She has two different audiences or groups that she's referring to, all right? And she starts by talking about, you see, the proud, the rulers, and the rich. That's one. All right, so I'm going to make them yellow so they can stand out right here, okay? But then there's another group contrasting them, and you'll see them here at the last part of the, the section, the humble and the hungry, 
I'm going to turn them into, I think, blue, all right? So you'll see if you look at it this way, that Mary, as she talks about God's holiness in the light of his mercy and might, she then refers to two contrasting groups of people in this world, the proud, the rulers, and the rich, and those who are humble and those who are hungry. Two completely kind of different opposite sides of the spectrum. And then there are five verbs that she uses to describe how God's mercy and might interacts with these two groups. And here's what they are right here. Scattered brought down, lifted up, filled, and sent. Scattered, brought down, lifted up, filled, and sent. And so if I put them in black, you'll see it this way, that he has scattered those who are proud, he has brought down rulers, he has lifted up the humble, and he has filled the hungry, and he has sent the rich away. And so you'll see as Mary is writing and as her thoughts about God's holiness are coming into picture. We kind of come around the corner into Avalanche Lake and we see something of God that is both merciful and mighty. And the way that his mercy and might plays with, with, with each other, so to speak, is that he takes his power and his might and he uses his might to scatter those who are proud. He brings down rulers and he sends the rich away. But he uses his mercy to lift up the humble and to fill the hungry. So we see this picture of a God who is both merciful and mighty, who uses his strength to take down those who are using their strength for themselves, and who uses his mercy to reach those who are most in need of it. And so when I look at Mary in this song, I think that Mary sees God's holiness as mercy and might, and in his mercy he reaches the humble, and in his might he displaces the proud. In his mercy, he reaches the humble. And in his mighty displaces the proud. And I began to ask myself, why is this, um, if this is holiness, how is it different than my experience? In other words, if this is God being other and separate, is this any different than the way that we act or the way that we see our world acting? And I might argue it, it is. I don't know if any of you know people who use their power to gain more power. I don't know if you know anybody in the world who uses their strength to gain more strength. We're to press down on people who need to be lifted up. I don't know if you know anybody like that. I don't know if you've ever been like that. I know I have been like that. One of the things that stands out here so starkly for me in this picture is that this is a picture of a God who uses his power and uses his strength to serve those who are most needy around him, but also not just in a soft way takes care of as if he's some big grandfather in the sky who's soft, but he's also you will, a warrior who uses his might to displace those, to take down those who are proud where they are. And so as I begin to think about this, I think this is very different. You know, this is very different than what I'm used to. I'm used to a world in which power is used to gain advantage for yourself and for myself, where even as little kids growing up, man, we think about how we can get the toy first. <laughs> We think about how we can graduate on the top of the class. We think about how we can advance ourselves, and we understand it has to be by putting other people down to get where we need to go. There's limited resources, limited job opportunities, limited whatever, and just kind of by default, we're pushed along into this cattle shoot of, let me kind of get on top of you and use my power and strength to, to push you down. And Mary paints this picture of a God who is both merciful and mighty, who does have strength, but he uses it not for, for gain for himself, but he uses it. He uses his strength to guard those who need it. He uses his mercy to reach those who are most lacking. 
It's a beautiful picture. And then she finishes, and I love how she finishes in verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And I love her finish because she focuses on the promises of God. She's saying this is what God has always promised to do. He's always promised to do this. And so if you're wondering, will God do this? Is this who he is? Mary's song is, you know what? This is who he is. He's got a promise. He keeps his promises. Count on it. Count on him being merciful. Count on him being mighty. Count on him doing this. It takes me back to the song that we just sang, Oh Holy Night. And when I was listening to this song again, even this week, it, it struck me again how powerful verse 2 is that we sang a minute ago and we're going to sing again. Look at these words. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. When I see this and when I hear this song again, I think of just how beautiful this picture is of a God who in his strength breaks our own worldviews. That says, you know what? It's okay to have some people in your world who are less than you. It's okay to have some people that we walk by at work. It's okay to think about a particular kind of person, whatever that is, as someone who isn't, isn't as on an equal footing with you. Like we, we are raised with some of these tendencies. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. Those whom we put down, he said, no, no, no. I'm going to break the chains in your mind and in reality. No, the slave, whoever you think is lower than you, he's, he's our brother. He's our brother. And God's mercy and might, his holiness teaches us that all the people around us, all the people around us are the people who we should love. His gospel is peace. In his name, all oppression, all oppression shall cease. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. So I had a couple questions around this, if I put it this way. We get to the end of the song, sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. So here's my questions. Number one, so how can I reflect, how can I reflect God's mercy and might in my life? Okay, how can I reflect that? If God's holiness is separate or other, how can I reflect that as I seek to pursue holiness myself? And let me ask though, let me push this into two related questions. Number one, who should I care for? And secondly, related to his might, who should I fight for? Who should I care for? Who should I fight for? Because you have been given both mercy and might. You have agency. You have strength. You can advocate for people. You may need to advocate for yourself. But you've also been given great mercy, as have I, to care for those who are less than or perceived to be less than. And so when I look at this song from Mary, as she kind of turns the corner to, to her avalanche lake, so to speak, to her moment of seeing God's holiness, I think she's reflecting on a God who's incredibly merciful to reach her as a humble servant. And she puts it that way. But then she's speaking to his power and might of fighting for and bringing down rulers, bringing down people who are proud, that, that pursuing our own interests for our own sake is going to come up against the power and might of God, and it's not going to lead to a great place. So as I think about how then I can respond to this, if I experience this kind of holiness, how can I walk this out as a husband and as a dad? How can you walk it out in your career, in your family, in your relationships? Who should I care for? Who should I fight for? Who should I care for? Who should I fight for? Who should I care for? 
Who should I fight for? Who's right around you within your family, within your school, where these things come to mind for you? Who do I care for? Who do I fight for? Last question I have is this, and it goes back to our song, but also goes back to Mary, and it's, let me put it this way. Has your soul felt its worth? Has your soul felt its worth? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And again, I don't know about you. I don't know how much reflection you do on the condition of your own soul. I don't know how much introspection you're given to. Um, some of us are given to more and some of us are given to a lot less. But if we can take a moment to pause and look at truly who we are, we will see, I would argue, both the dignity of God and the depravity of man in each of us. You are both an incredible child of God with incredible inherent value. And I hope you see that and know that. And at the same moment, we're all deeply depraved and sinful and on our own cannot save ourselves. And so when we sit there, when we sit there in the world in which we live, aiming to be a great father, great husband, great uh, leader in our careers and grandparent and you know, hoping for great things, we sit there with both tensions existing in ourselves at the same time. And there are times we'll lean more to realizing we are strong as children of God, and times we'll lean toward feeling like we are weak because of our constant failure, the things that we always run into. Both are true at the same time. So our souls long for their worth, and so we'll fill our schedules with activities and our plans for the future with hopes and dreams, hoping that at some point, if I get to that next level, my soul will feel its worth because I've accomplished what I hope to accomplish or because my kids have become what I hope they can become or because whatever. And this message, even from Mary and even from our song, O Holy Night, is long lay the world, long lay the world, and sin and error pining until, until he appeared and the soul finally felt its worth. Friends, I just hope at Christmas time of any time, you can feel God's holiness, not just as an idea that God is holy and separate, but as you kind of turn the corner to see him again, you might see in awe again his mercy and might, that his mercy has come to you and come to me to save us from where we are, and his might is going to deliver us to what he said he's going to do because he keeps his promises. He is both merciful and more mighty than anybody or anything else that you will ever experience. And so as you walk this week, as you walk in the season of life that you're in, I hope that you see again, not just in your mind that God is holy, but that you feel it in your life. And that as you feel his presence, as you feel his mercy and his might, that the people around you will feel both cared for and fought for when it's needed. Because both are part of this God that we serve. Both are a part of his holiness. Both were a part of it for Mary. And I hope both are a part of it for you. O holy night, the night divine. It's an amazing, amazing message. It's an amazing song for an amazing young woman. Will you pray with me? Our good God and heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to step back into Mary's song and what she had to say about her experience with your holiness. Her soul glorified you. Her soul tried to find the words to describe your holiness and use the language of mercy and might to do so. We thank you for the picture of what you do 
to the proud, to the arrogant, to those who don't acknowledge you. We thank you for the message of what you do for those who fear you and love you and give of themselves to you. I, I pray that in both your mercy and might, you would draw us to see your holiness, your otherness again. And that in doing so, our soul will feel its worth, its value. Oh, holy night, the night divine. Give us strength to see what we need to see and to live the way that you want us to live with the people in front of us. In Jesus' name we pray.